0: Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at GodSolutionShow.com. Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I am so excited to be back in the studio with you again. Well, today I thought we would talk about something that I've mentioned on the air many different times, but I've never really gone after it and talked in depth about it. That's the extra-biblical references to Jesus Christ. So we've all heard that there are many extra-biblical references to Jesus Christ. In fact, CARM is tells us that there are just as many references to Christ outside of the Bible as there are to Tiberius Caesar, who ruled the known world of Jesus' day. So, the evidence for Jesus is overwhelming, even if you get rid of all the Christian evidence, which, of course, you can't do. The Christian historical evidence is overwhelming, and we know that it is made up... At its core, of eyewitness testimony. In fact, Richard Bockham has written his masterpiece, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, where he demonstrates that what we get in the New Testament at its core is eyewitness testimony. So we can't throw out what we read in the Gospels or the rest of the New Testament, what the New Testament writers tell us about Jesus. But what is exciting is that even if you did throw it all out, you'd still have as many historical references to Jesus as you do to Tiberius Caesar. Now, Carm goes on to tell us that if you were to include Christian references to Jesus, Christian historical references to Jesus, you have four times the historical evidence for Jesus as Tiberius Caesar, who ruled the world of his day. So the historical evidence for Jesus is absolutely indisputable. And even the biggest critics of Christianity today would agree with that statement. You cannot say in a scholarly sense, that Jesus did not exist. So, before we even dive into any of this, if you're ever in a conversation where somebody says, I don't even know if Jesus existed, you can tell them with confidence that nobody with any kind of scholarly support would say anything like that. These are the absolute fringe lunatics that would say that Jesus did not exist. The historical evidence for Jesus is absolutely overwhelming, The historical evidence in the Bible is accurate, we can't throw it out, but what I want to do today is kind of interesting. I want to look at some of the other historical references to Jesus, the extra-biblical sources outside of Scripture, and see what they say and what they tell us about Jesus, and how that lines up with what we read about Jesus in Scripture. A couple weeks ago, I talked about some of the creedal statements in the New Testament. These were songs and poems and things like that, that early Christians would have memorized and spoken before they had the New Testament written. And I talked about 20 different things that we can know just from those creedal statements that we find in Scripture. Those included information about the nature and character of God, the nature of Jesus as the Messiah, and even the fact that Jesus is God— Jesus' death and resurrection, Satan's demise, the depravity of man, God's salvation, and the fact that salvation comes by grace through faith, baptism, communion, grace, love and unity in the church, growing in Christlikeness, the greatest commandments, the great commission, leadership in the church, the danger of deception, standing strong in the truth, perseverance, and even heaven. Those were some of the topics that the creedal statements Uh, dealt with and and discussed. Well, today we're going to do something similar. We're going to look at what the extra-biblical sources about Jesus tell us about Jesus and how that lines up with the rest of Scripture. So it's going to be kind of exciting to dive into this and to meet some new people, some ancient historians along the way, and to find out some of what they tell us about Jesus and how that lines up with what we know to be true of Jesus from the New Testament, which is absolutely historically reliable. So before I go any further, I just want to make that point. The New Testament is absolutely reliable. It comes from God. There's no ancient text that comes anywhere near its reliability. There are thousands of Greek manuscripts and even more thousands of translations from those and even tens of thousands of quotations from those. And all of that together gives us a picture of what was originally written by God. We can know with certainty what was written. And of course, some copies are going to have errors, but since there are so many thousands of copies, we can quickly find the errors and get rid of them. That's the job of textual critics. The thing that we can land on at the end of the day is that the reliability of the New Testament is absolutely solid, and there is not a doctrine of our faith that is in question We can know with certainty what was originally written. And we can know with certainty that Jesus is who he says he is and that he did what he claimed to have done for us because we read it in the New Testament. Uh, We know that the New Testament is accurate when it tells us of Jesus' life, his teachings, his miracles, his death, and his resurrection. We know it's accurate. For example, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote Acts. He actually wrote more of the New Testament than anyone And Luke, in all that he wrote, again, he wrote more than anyone in the New Testament, in all that he wrote, in all the different historical statements that he made, in all the different geographical statements that he made, in all the linguistic statements that he made, in all the different statements that he made, made, there has never been one time in archaeological history where anything has undermined a single thing that Luke wrote. So we know with confidence that we can trust what Luke said, and what the other gospel writers said, and what the New Testament writers said. That being said, we absolutely believe what we read about Jesus in the New Testament, but it's also fun to look outside of the New Testament at the extra-biblical historical statements about Jesus to see what they said about Jesus and how that lines up with Scripture. Now, there are ten truths about Jesus that extra-biblical sources confirm. And we're going to unpack these today. This is going to be an exciting show. But I first want to introduce you to some of our ancient historians. And uh, J. Warner Wallace, who's been on the show numerous times, incredible apologist. I would encourage you to get all this stuff and to go to coldcasechristianity.com to find out more about J. Warner Wallace. But he gives us a nice, readable list of, of all these different historians and a little bit about them and what they say. And I'm just going to read them to you by name, and then we'll jump into some of the statements and who says these things about Jesus. So first, Phlegon lived between 80 and 140 AD. Second, Thallus, who lived in the first century, but was quoted by Julius Africanus in the third century. Tacitus lived in the first and second centuries. Uh, Marabar Serapion from the first century Pliny the Younger, also from the 1st century, Suetonius, second half of the 1st century into the first half of the 2nd century, Lucian, 2nd century, Celsus, 2nd century, Josephus, 1st century into the the very beginning of the 2nd century. Those are some of the people that we're going to talk about today. Phlegon, Thallus, Julius Africanus, Tacitus, Marabar Serapion, Pliny the Younger, Suetonius, Lucian, Celsus, and Josephus. I'm also going to mention the Babylonian Talmud uh, one time, at one point, because I think it is significant extra-biblical evidence of the resurrection. So we'll jump into that too. But anyway, let's talk about the ten truths about Jesus that extra-biblical sources confirm. First, Jesus's historicity. <laughs> of course, all these different sources confirm something about Jesus, and it kind of goes without saying, the fact that they're talking about him confirms that he really existed. And this is something that I began the show with today, but it's something that I want to come back to. The historical evidence for Jesus is absolutely indisputable. You cannot refute the historical evidence for Jesus. And all these extra-biblical sources that I just mentioned are corroboration of the most basic fact of them all, that Jesus was a real person that really walked this earth 2,000 years ago. That is not debatable. That is a fact of history. So number one, these sources confirm a very simple fact, but an important one, that Jesus is a fact of history. He truly walked this earth 2,000 years ago, and no one can debate that. Number two, Jesus's virgin birth. Now, of course, that's a hard, hard, hard thing to prove historically. And, of course, you actually couldn't prove that historically. That's not a problem because when I read about it in the New Testament, I realize that I can trust the people that wrote the New Testament and what they said because their reliability has been proven over and over and over again. Now, of course, you might say, well, how do they know that Jesus was born of a virgin? And I'll just mention this. One, we know that that was prophesied. Two, we know that that was the record from the start. But three, the fact that Jesus conquered death, and we'll come back to that, he proved that he had power over life and death makes it believable that he was also born in a miraculous way. So I believe the virgin birth as a fact of history, but I believe it based on my faith in Jesus because of the evidence that leads me to believe that he is trustworthy and because of my faith in his word because of the evidence that leads me to believe that his word is trustworthy. Let me just tell you kind of a side issue, but we can trust the Bible. It foretells the future. It's archaeologically accurate. It's coherent. It's translated correctly. We know what was originally written. And there are scientific statements throughout Scripture that show God's fingerprints on His Word. So we can trust Scripture when it tells us things like the virgin birth. Now, that being said, there is one historical reference that is hostile, that in a hostile sense corroborates. The virgin birth. And that is Celsus, who claimed that that Jesus was born as a consequence or as a result of Mary being raped by a Roman guard. Now, of course, that would be a human explanation for a pregnancy that wasn't expected, but I believe it's hostile corroboration of what we know to be true. Joseph wasn't the father. Of jesus in a biological sense he was in an adopted sense but not a biological sense and this extra biblical source corroborates that so the extra biblical sources so far corroborate jesus's historicity and his virgin birth they also corroborate his prophetic powers phlegon said that jesus accurately predicted the future now that's an incredible statement It also blows up naturalism. A lot of times we talk about prophecy, and I think we just kind of forget how big a deal this really is. I spoke at a church this past Sunday, and I spoke a little bit about prophecy and just how incredible a reality it is that in Scripture we have something Around a couple thousand fulfilled prophecies. And Jesus alone, easily over a hundred prophecies fulfilled. Some would say over three hundred. Some of those are vague, but clearly about a hundred are are there. And all this tells us that that naturalism falls apart. In fact, if, if there's nothing more than atoms and molecules, there should be absolutely no way to foretell the future. But when we see prophecy, And not just vague prophecies. Isaiah 45 talks about Cyrus by name a century before he was even born. I mean, this is unbelievable. Daniel tells us the year that the Messiah would die for the sins of Israel and for the world. And that was hundreds of years before the Messiah. These are very accurate prophecies that could not have been faked. And we see them throughout Scripture. So prophecy is a big deal. And Jesus made prophecies even about his own death and resurrection. And even secular scholars today would agree that Jesus' prophecies about his own resurrection were actually said by Jesus. That's the consensus today, that Jesus' prophetic statements about his resurrection were actual statements that Jesus made. Now, of course, me and you know that we can trust everything in the New Testament and that we can trust everything that's recorded in the New Testament and attributed to Jesus— But secular scholars would look at the New Testament and say, oh, we can only accept this, that, or whatever. I think they're absolutely wrong. But let's just give it to them for a second. They would agree that Jesus' prophecies of his own resurrection were actually uttered by Jesus. Wow, that's, that's powerful. They can't refute the resurrection. The evidence for the resurrection is too overwhelming. And they can't refute the fact that Jesus prophesied his own resurrection. Absolutely amazing. Anyway, Jesus had prophetic powers, and Phlegon tells us that. He accurately predicted the future. Next one, Jesus' miracles. This is is big. It was prophesied in the Old Testament that Jesus would do miracles. Celsus, again, he's the one that I said was a hostile corroboration of the virgin birth. Well, here again, he's a hostile corroboration of Jesus' miracles. He says that Jesus had magical powers. Now, sometimes you get positive, uh, positive confirmation from a hostile source, and that's a perfect example of what's going on here. Celsus is not a fan of Jesus, but in his hostility, he still corroborates what, what we see in the New Testament. So Celsus says that Jesus had magical powers, and Josephus tells us that he did amazing deeds. Now, I want to set up that Josephus quote here a little bit, You'll hear an expanded quote of Josephus's that has some things that scholars today would say are later editions or something along those lines that Christians added them in later because maybe earlier quotes don't have those those appendages. That's fine. I will let you know if we're quoting the part of Josephus that some people would doubt is credible today. But nobody doubts the fact that Josephus said Jesus did amazing deeds. Okay, Jesus' teaching... Pliny the Younger tells us that Jesus taught moral teachings and Lucian tells us that Jesus taught repentance and he taught about the family of God. Of course, all these things absolutely corroborate what we read in the New Testament about Jesus. So far, let's check it out. We've talked about 5: Jesus's historicity, his virgin birth, his prophetic powers, his miracles, and his teachings. And all these things that we see in extra biblical sources perfectly mirror what we read about Jesus in the New Testament. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution. You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. Today we're talking about some of the extra biblical sources that tell us about Jesus. We're talking about Phlegon and Thallus, Julius Africanus, Tacitus, Marabar Serapion. Pliny the Younger, Suetonius, Lucian, Celsus, Josephus, and we're even going to mention the Babylonian Talmud. And we're comparing what we see in these extra-biblical sources to what we see in the New Testament. And so far, we're five for five. These extra-biblical sources tell us that Jesus was a historical figure. They come up with a hostile answer for the virgin birth, but one that doesn't deny the fundamental that Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus. They admit that there had to be an explanation for that. These extra-biblical sources affirm Jesus' prophetic powers, his miracles, and his good teachings. So let's pick it up there and go on to the next five different things that we can see in these extra-biblical sources. The next one is Jesus' character. Mara Bar-Serapian says that he was a wise and influential man that died for his beliefs perfect picture of what we see in Scripture about Jesus. Suetonius said he made a powerful impact on those that listened to him and followed him. Of course, we all know that's true. I'm reminded of the the guards that went to arrest him, and when they reported back to their authorities, they said, no one ever spoke the way this man speaks. I mean, he had an absolutely powerful impact on people, to the point where someone that was charged with arresting him would come back to his commanding officer and say we didn't arrest him because you just you should have heard the guy or remember uh, those in Sikhar who realized that he was the messiah simply by listening to the woman's testimony and then hearing from Jesus himself over and over and over the people that that heard him realized he had true authority that he was different than the other religious figures his character was absolutely unparalleled. And that's something that Suetonius again agrees with. Josephus also calls him a wise teacher. So we realize that his character was truly, truly extraordinary. We know that from scripture. These extra biblical sources confirm that as well. So that was number six. Moving on to number seven, Jesus's death and crucifixion. A lot of different sources uh, affirm this and confirm this. Phlegon says that Jesus was crucified in the time of Tiberius. Obviously, Scripture agrees with that. Julius Africanus quotes Thallus. This is kind of amazing. So Julius Africanus writes in the 3rd century, there's no existing copy of Thallus who wrote in the 1st century, but Julius Africanus in the 3rd century quotes Thallus's work from the 1st century that presumably he had access to in the 3rd century, but which we no longer have access to in our day. But he quotes Thallus saying that the earth at the time of the crucifixion experienced an earthquake and that the sky was turned to darkness. This is amazing. It's something that we read in the New Testament, but it's something that is corroborated by an extra biblical source outside of the New Testament. Absolutely fascinating. Tacitus tells us that Jesus was crucified under Pilate. Marabar Serapion tells us that the Jews were responsible for his death. And Josephus, again, tells us that the Jews and Pilate together crucified Jesus. Listen, all these extra biblical accounts perfectly line up with what we read about Jesus in the New Testament. So we we just talked about Jesus' crucifixion. Let's also talk about the resurrection. There are extra-biblical accounts that talk about the resurrection. Phlegon says that after his resurrection, Jesus demonstrated his wounds to people. Yep, we read that in Scripture. The Babylonian Talmud, this is fascinating. It says that Jesus' disciples raised him through incantation. Again, positive evidence from a hostile source. And it says, quote, Woe to him who makes himself alive by the name of God obviously an admission of something there and a rejection of it, but in the rejection an admission of the resurrection. Now, here's one of Josephus's questionable quotes. There is a questionable quote attributed to Josephus saying that that Jesus rose on the third day. A lot of scholars debate that, so I'm not going to put it out there as authentic, but just letting you know that there is that possible source as well. And of course, there are others. So, It doesn't matter if that one isn't legitimate or not. There are others. All right. So what about Jesus's followers? Number nine, we see extra biblical sources that tell us a lot about his followers. Phlegon tells us again that they saw his wounds. Marabar Serapian says they adopted his beliefs and followed him. Pliny the Younger says that they upheld a high moral code just like he did. And Josephus tells us that he had both Jewish and Greek disciples. Again, To a T, this absolutely confirms everything we read in Scripture. So finally, and this is a big one, I want to get to this. This is the deity of Christ. Pliny the Younger tells us that Jesus' followers believed he was God, and they worshipped him as such. Suetonius says that even though they were persecuted by the Romans, his followers believed he was God. Celsus claims that Jesus claimed to be God. Again, he was hostile to that claim. And Josephus, and this is another one of his disputed quotes, uh, and that disputed quote references Jesus as God. Again, maybe that Josephus quote is is debatable at that point. A lot of his material is not, but maybe at that point it is. All right, so we've seen here an incredible picture of what these extra-biblical sources tell us. Since we concluded with the deity of Christ— and the fact that we have several different extra-biblical sources affirming that his followers believed this from the beginning, I want to come back to to this issue of the deity of Christ, because a lot of Christians are kind of uh, confused about it, for lack of a better word, and even a lot of cults have gotten their start by denying it. So let's look at the deity of Christ. First, there are very clear passages that tell us that Jesus is God— Matthew one twenty three calls him Emmanuel, God with us. John one, 1 blatantly calls him God. In John 8.58, Jesus claims this of himself. In John 20.28, 20, Thomas claims this of Jesus, calling him my Lord and my God. In Acts 20.28, 20, we're told that God bought the church with his own blood. And in Philippians 2.6, we see that, that the deity was Jesus' very nature and essence. So there are clear passages that define the deity of Christ. There are also supporting passages. I love Mark two because it has two of them in Mark two. It's a great way to remember it. The second book of the New Testament in its second chapter has two references to the deity of Christ. Two, two, two. I hope that helps you remember it. But right in Mark two, we see this story of Jesus healing the paralytic. And he first forgives the man's sins. And, of course, everybody knew and even say it there that only God can forgive sins. And, of course, Jesus doesn't go, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I get it. Yeah, you're right. Only God can forgive him. No, he claims to have that power and then demonstrates that by healing the man. In the same chapter, he calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. You could not be more clear about deity there. There are also prophecies that tell us about the deity Of Christ. For example, Zechariah 11 says that Yahweh God was was valued with 30 pieces of silver. Remember, that's what Jesus was betrayed for. And that Yahweh God was pierced, and the people looked on him and mourned, just like Jesus was crucified. We also see that Jesus's social class was deity. In fact, Jesus called himself the Son of God in John 5 18. immediately the people knew he was making himself to be equal with God, because whatever family you were born into, that was your social class. You could not earn that class. You had to be born into that class, and the fact that Jesus was the Son of God was the equivalent of saying he was the God class. You couldn't earn it, but he was that by his very nature. There are also shared attributes of Jesus, both in the Old and New Testaments, like Isaiah 40 and Colossians 1, say that God and Jesus were creator. And Isaiah 45 tells us that every knee will bow to Yahweh and every tongue confess. And on Philippians 2 tells us the same thing about Jesus. You know, Jesus, more than any other statement about himself, called himself the Son of Man, which in Daniel 7 we read, the Son of Man is the worshipped judge of the earth with eternal dominion. Caiaphas recognize this in Matthew 26, ripping his clothes when Jesus called himself the Son of Man. All right, going on. The Greek, even the Greek word kurios, translated from from the Hebrew into the Greek for Yahweh over and over. In fact, every time Yahweh is translated in the Greek, the New Testament writers use the word kurios. And the same word is applied to Jesus hundreds of times. In fact, we can know with certainty that the new testament writers saw jesus synonymous with with yahweh god psalm 32 1 through 2 tells us blessed is the man who sin the lord yahweh does not count against him paul quotes that in romans 4 7 through 8 saying blessed is the man who sin the lord kurios does not count against him and then just 6 chapters later in 10 9 paul says That you cannot be saved unless you call Jesus Kudios. It's absolutely clear what he was getting at. You know, there are so many compelling reasons to believe that Jesus is God, and uh, that's all throughout the New Testament, but right here, these extra biblical sources tell us that Jesus' followers believed this from the beginning. So the whole concept that some would throw out that Jesus' deity was a later fabrication of the church, maybe towards the end of the first century or the beginning of the second century because of Paul, because of John, that's complete nonsense. We know right from Mark, the earliest gospel most likely, we see Jesus portraying himself as God. We see these biblical statements from both the Old and New Testament confirming his deity. And then we see these extra biblical sources agreeing with it as well. Well, today we've talked about Ten different things that extra-biblical sources confirm about Jesus. His historicity, his birth, his virgin birth, that is, his prophetic powers, his miracles, his death and crucifixion, his resurrection, the, the features of his followers, and even his very own deity. You guys, Jesus really is who he says he is. He really did come to this earth and die on the cross to pay for your sins and mine. We never could have made it to God on our own. We had no chance. God is perfect. We are not perfect, and because of that, there had to be a payment. Somebody has to pay for our sin, and at the end of the day, the only way we could pay for it was an eternity separated from God in hell, but God came and paid for it, so we wouldn't have to do that. By dying on the cross for our sins, he paid the ultimate perfect price so that anyone who believes in him can be absolutely forgiven, saved for all of eternity, and guaranteed a life of meaning and purpose here on this planet today. If you've never taken that step to believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, please do it right now. Tell him right now, wherever you are, say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. Today I ask you to be my Savior and Lord. Well, thank you so much for listening. Please keep sharing your faith with your friends and, and using what you hear here to answer good questions. Keep listening. Please tune back in next week. Go to com for all of our past shows and even to leave us a comment about the show or what you'd like us to address. Well, like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to The God Solution. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at godsolutionshow.com. Thanks for listening and being a